We'll be reading from the Word of God this morning from Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, undo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's not much to talk about in that passage. Um... (laughs) We'll see what we can tackle in one message. How many of you do the grocery shopping in your family? How many? Yeah, few. That's less than half of you. Some of you aren't eating. Some, uh, somebody doesn't. Maybe they're not here. I understand. Hi, those of you that I do the grocery shopping in my family. I like grocery stores. That's the way I choose to spend some of my time. Uh, Let me ask you, those of you that do the grocery shopping, what's the price of a dozen eggs? I got a dollar nineteen up here. Who else? Two sixty nine. Some of you buying those organic, free range turnaround eggs. They're like three thirty nine. Yeah, a dozen. Yeah. How many of you have ever heard? How many of you ever paid for a six thousand dollar egg? Six thousand must be one good egg, right? Tell you a story about a six thousand dollar egg. Todd and Deb Duncan tell this story. They live out in Newport Beach, California. Tell the story of a $6,000 egg. They, uh, they went, like this restaurant in Newport Beach. They would frequent it often, and they would go to this restaurant uh, often after they would work out, and then they'd go and treat themselves uh, by going out to eat at this particular restaurant uh, with a cheeseburger many times. And it was a restaurant that was kind of a test kitchen restaurant, and so they really just loved it. They'd go there several times a month. And so after working out one day, they had headed down to their favorite spot, and they were familiar there. In fact, one point, someone had said, we should put names on the stools that you guys sit on. You're in here so often. And so the waiter uh, came out, told him the specials. It was uh, that particular day. It was a buttermilk waffle with Vermont maple syrup and a sunny side egg on top of it. Anybody hungry yet? 
And uh, that sounded great, but Todd wasn't really in the mood. They had had their heart set on cheeseburgers. And so he said, you know, that sounds great. But Todd also knew that his wife, Deb, loved eggs. So he thought, I'm going to be husband of the year. And, and here's what I'm going to do. He, tell, he told the waiter, he said, look, I, we really want cheeseburgers, but can on my wife's cheeseburger, can I just get one of those eggs on the cheeseburger? And uh, he knew this was going to make her happy. And the waiter immediately looked at him with some concern. And he said, well, let me see what we can do. And he went back to talk to the kitchen And he came out and said, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. The kitchen is too busy, and uh, and they're not able to do that. Uh, And so Todd said, well, let me speak to the manager, Natalie. You know, and so the manager came out. But Todd says when when she came out, it was obvious that uh, she was already in such a state that she was ready for a battle with no smile. She simply said, I understand you have a problem. That's a good start to a conversation, right? Those of you that are in customer service. And uh, Todd said, I explained that I simply wanted an egg. And she said, well, we can't do that. And he said, well, why can't, why? And she said, well, we only have a certain number of eggs. And we need eggs to go with the waffles. We have the exact number of eggs that we have to serve the waffles. And if we give out eggs away from the waffles, we won't be able to serve the special, which is the waffle with eggs. And Todd said, so let me clarify, you're saying you can't do this. And she said, nope. And then Todd wanted to be really clear. He said, so let me just make sure we're tracking here. I spend at least $6,000 a year at your restaurant. And I have one simple request for a $2 egg for my burger. And you're telling me you can't make that happen because you only order enough eggs for the waffle dish. And she said, yes. And I said, so a one-time visitor, Todd says, orders a waffle for $15 is more important to you than a $6,000 customer who comes in at least four to six times a month, but you can't figure out how to get an egg for. Her response was, we have to be able to serve the dishes we advertise, and we usually run out of the special ones. If we run out of eggs, we can't serve the waffle. So Todd persisted. He said, as a manager, wouldn't you rather be one egg short and throw away a 50-cent waffle than throw away a $6,000 a year loyal customer? She said, it's our policy. (laughs) How sad. She didn't have the authority to grant an egg. It was clear to me at that point, Todd says, uh, and perhaps the whole restaurant had no clue about customer service, but uh, she said, uh, he said, Todd said, you know what I would do if I were you? I'd send a busboy 200 feet to the grocery store next door, buy a half dozen eggs that might cost you a couple of bucks. You wouldn't have to throw away the waffle. I'd have an egg and you'd have one happy customer. She said, I can't do that. I laughed. In the time we've spent arguing about this, someone could have been there and back. I could not believe what happened next. Natalie, the manager, said, I'm happy to take care of your bill for the inconvenience. Todd said, that's stupid. (laughs) She looked at him confused. You would rather spend your company's money to pay for my $75 tab than figure out how to get a $2 egg. I looked her squarely in the eyes and said, we're done for coming back. This egg just cost you $6,000. 
thus the $6,000 egg. The story goes on. We immediately, for fun, went next door to Whole Foods Market, the grocery store, to check the price of eggs. We found that for 33 cents, she could have gotten an egg. We stumbled to the back of the store, and uh, there was a restaurant that they didn't know about called the Back Bay Tavern. And they went in there, and they were telling this story, actually, to their server, Sandy, who was serving them. And she said, well, our policy is we don't say no here. We looked over their menu and asked if we could create our own pizza, a combination not on their menu. She picked up her pen and smiled and said, we don't say no. We got creative and ordered a bacon, cheese, garlic, and olive oil pizza with a sunny side egg on top. It was amazing. Sandy told our stories to several other employees who gathered around and talked about how great it is to work in a customer-centric environment. And at this restaurant, they're empowered to do and serve the customers the $6,000 egg. Here's the reason I tell you that this morning, because there are times we all find ourselves in situations where we have a choice to make. We can make a short-term decision, or we can make a long-term decision. We can play for the short game win, or we can play the long game. We all are put in situations at times where we have that decision to make. In this passage, in this section of Romans, Paul is talking about relationships. Last week we talked about, and Paul talked about relationships with one another in the church, in the gifts that God has given the body of Christ. In a couple of weeks we'll talk about, Paul talks about relationships with government authorities. He also talks about other relationships with people within the church. This week we're going to look at relationships with friends and with enemies. And in all these situations, Paul's larger point is going to be, don't play for the short game. Play for the long game. In all these situations, Paul's advice in our relationships is, if you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus Christ, you no longer have the luxury of playing the short game. You've got to play the long game. You've got to play for the big Picture. And when it comes to friends and enemies, Paul says you got to pray for the long term. So let's look at that a little bit this morning. The first thing Paul says in chapter 12, verse 9, and he says a lot in this, cha- in this chapter, and much of it flows together in relationships, but honestly, some of it, it looks like Paul is coming kind of to near the end of his letter, and he says, I got some stuff to say. And he just starts listing down some things that are important for every Christian to have in their life. But in this section, I think he can broadly title it to relationships with friends and relationships with enemies. And the first thing he says is, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, or hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. So the first thing Paul says, what about um, these relationships with friends and enemies? The first thing he says is, you have to show genuine love to your friends. You have to show genuine love to one another. To put it in some uh, modern terms, Paul is in one sense saying, if you're a Christian, you can't have any frenemies. If you don't know what a frenemy is, 
It was actually added to the, the Webster's Dictionary in 2009. The word frenemies. Frenemy is a person with whom one is friendly despite having a fundamental dislike or rivalry. Now you know what it is and now you know you have some. (laughs) These are people that sometimes you're friendly with in front of them and with them. But maybe you're not the same way when they're not present. Paul's saying, if, it's, if you're a Christian, it should not be this way. You cannot have any frenemies because love must be genuine. Love must be genuine. He's saying, as a Christian, you have to have genuine love for the people around you and the people in your life. And that next statement that follows it, hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good, I think applies to the situation. In other words, at times, you're with your friends, you'll have to have hard conversations. You'll have to tell difficult truths at times, perhaps, but that's genuine love. When you proclaim or say that you love someone, but you're not willing to have the hard conversation about what is good and what is evil, then that's not genuine love. At times to love and be genuine and authentic in your love, you'll have to have hard conversations. We all might agree, okay, love should be genuine. We agree on that. We, we're, we're for genuine love. We're for authentic love. Nobody wants to have, I mean, what's the alternative? unauthentic, ungenuine love? Who wants to be accused of that? So we should have genuine love with our friends. So Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. And here's a way to love your friends. And I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on loving our friends because I'm guessing that most of you probably do that pretty well. Other than this part of, Uh, be a truth teller, which can be difficult, most of us probably figure out how to love our friends. In fact, Jesus said that at one point. He said, you know, loving loving those who love you is easy. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because uh, you probably have figured out how to do this. But Paul says, love your friends. I'll do one another in showing honor. I'll do one another in showing honor. He has some concrete statements to as well that go along with this in showing love to one another. Rejoice in hope, patient tribulation, constant prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, show hospitality to one another. These are the things we should be doing for one another. So how are you doing in your relationship with your friends when it comes to outdoing one another and showing honor? Are you blessing them? Are you listening to them? Are you loving them? One of the things we're supposed to do is genuinely love those who are in the body of Christ, those who are our friends, those who we're in relationship with. So I thought this morning, I thought, well, let's put this into practice somehow. Let's see if there's a way we can actually put into practice what we have and what we are uh, doing this morning. And so I've got a little exercise for us this morning. Are you up for participating in something? You didn't just come to watch me, did you? Yes, no? Okay, so we're going to do something. So we're going to put this into practice. We're going to outdo one another in showing honor. I've got a bunch of cards here that I'm going to start handing out. Each one of these cards has the name of somebody who is serving right now in our kids' ministry. 
today, serving in uh, a class. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to just pass these out. Paulette has some pens. And if you would, especially if you're a parent, sign your name just as a thank you to them, those that are serving this morning. Or if you're not a parent, you're saying, you know what? I don't have any kids. And I'm thankful there's no kids in the service today. So I want to say thank you. No. Hey, whatever's your motivation, just say thank you for doing what you do every Sunday, those that are there. You know, let's just say thank you to those who are serving today. So I'm going to hand these out. So thank you for all you do, Donna Favini and... The other, thank you, Genevieve Brown is serving today. Who's going to write? Just sign it, pass it along. Sign it, pass it along. Let's get as many names as we can. Caleb Libby is serving in Kids Church today. Uh, Muriel Medejo is serving in Kids Church today. Somebody said that. Paulette's got pens. Just sign them. Kathy Duncan is serving, in, is serving kids today. Magda Sandoval serving children today. Somebody just sign your Melva McMillan serving. Sign them and pass them back. Riccardi Delexis is serving back there today. Valerie Levitt is serving back there. Chloe Stubblebein in Kids Church. Uh, Nicholas, Nicholas Nagunu served today. Uh, James Carter serving today. Rebecca Varengia. I got to get some of these down the other side here. Rebecca Varengia is serving in Kids Church. Abigail Varengia. Uh, oh, let's start one over here. There you go. Just sign your name. Benji Phillips, Avina Monroe, and I think Marcia Haggis is also serving in Kids Church today. Get those cards. You got a few minutes. Just sign them. Um, one more. There we go. You can write a quick thank you. Sign your name. And then what's going to happen is Paulette's going to collect them. She's going to stick a Dunkin' Donuts gift card in there and bring those down to the teachers right during uh, right during service today. So just a tangible way to just find one way to love one another, to show honor to one another, to care for one another. So I'll give you a few minutes to do that, and then I'll ask Paulette to collect them all in just a few minutes. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what you're called to do. That's genuine love. But let's get to the second one. Genuine love to your friends. But let's be honest, the next one is a little bit harder, isn't it? Genuine love to your enemies. If you're going to play the long game, if you're going to play for long-term relationships, for long-term blessing, if you're going to play the long game, then you and I have to love our enemies. This is a difficult one, right? Paul doesn't in this statement, in this verse, say love your enemies, but he is obviously quoting and relying on the words of Jesus who in Luke chapter 6 said, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, Uh, said, I'm sorry, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Paul was obviously pulling on Jesus' statement here when he says, bless those who persecute you. He's uh, going back to the statements of Jesus who say, love your enemies. And this is a hard one. There's so much in here that we could talk about. One statement Paul makes If we're to, with our friends, outdo one another in showing honor, then with our enemies, we are to give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. 
Paul says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So I was looking at this passage this week. This struck me, and what really struck me is the last word of that verse, all. Because when somebody does evil to me, when somebody hurts me, or when somebody causes me pain, it's easy for me to give thought to what is honorable in the sight of most, especially in the sight of most my friends, or most the people who like me or are like me. That when a wrong is done to me, there's no doubt I can find people who would say, you should return evil for evil, tit for tat. You need to go after them. You need to do this to them because they did that for you. It's easy for me to find someone who will say, that would be the honorable thing to do. But Paul says, all. And I got to believe that included in that all, is even the person who did evil to me. Because if that's not true, then why would Paul have to say it? Honorable in the sight of all means honorable in the sight of all. It means even the person who perpetrated the evil upon me may not like my reaction, but they would at least be able to say that was an honorable way that they acted. That they acted towards me in a way that was honorable, that was magnanimous, that was above board, and that we would be able to look back and not have any regrets about the way that we acted towards them. All is all. Paul direct, says very directly here uh, that we are supposed to do what is honorable in the sight of all and repay no one evil for evil. And then he gives some very concrete ways that we are to love our enemies Bless those who persecute you, he says. Repay no one evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That doesn't mean you will be able to live peaceably with all because it doesn't only depend on you. But as far as it depends on you, for your side of it, you make an effort to live peaceably with all. Don't take revenge and trust that God will avenge and that God is the judge and then do good to your enemies. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll be burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Good. This word overcome with evil, it means that once we give in and we return evil for evil, we've been overcome by it. See, once we decide that, well, because they treated me this way, I am going to treat them in a like manner, I have been overcome by evil. I am no longer, as a follower of Jesus, overcome by compassion and by the cross and by the gospel, I have now been, my actions are now influenced by and directed by the evil that was done to me. So Paul's saying, you've been overcome by evil at that point. 
You've, it has determined your actions. It has determined your thoughts. It has determined the way you are going to act towards them. And so once that happens, you've been overcome by it. It has taken over you. And you are no longer overcome by the things that you say are your Lord and the most important things in your life. You're overcome by the evil. And so he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Return good for the evil that was even done to you. Does this mean that you never walk away? No. Sometimes the loving thing, the genuine loving thing, will be to walk away from a situation. But make sure if you walk away, it is not for your own selfish reasons, but it is for the larger goal of peace and reconciliation and redemption. Does this mean a country never goes to war with enemies? I think we can say that whatever else the Bible says about going to war, and good Christians have disagreed with this over the ages, that Paul here is talking about our interpersonal relationships more than government diplomatic policies towards an aggressor who wishes to do harm to another country. He's talking about how we are relating to those in our lives who are close to us that we might put in this category of enemies. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone from years ago in your past that you're harboring something against that you have not given up to the Lord. Those people that we would put in that category, people who wish to do us harm, people who did harm to us. Paul says, those people in your life, that's who I'm talking about. Here's how you are to treat them. Do not turn evil for evil. Bless those who persecute you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if they're hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Do well by them and to them. Bless them. So when's the last time you blessed your enemy? Have you done good? to those who have done evil to you? Have you helped those who have hurt you? Have you shown hospitality to those who have been hostile to you? Have you chosen redemption over revenge? That's the question. The long game is one that we're called to play. But the truth is, the reason we can do this is only because of the gospel. I want to take the last few minutes we have to talk about how we're able to live in this way. But before I do that, are the cards still out there? Anyone have one of those cards? Hold up your hand if you have a card. All right, Paulette's going to come around and collect them. Hold up your hand if you've got those cards. Paulette's going to collect them. She's going to go right now, put a Dunkin' Donut gift card in there and deliver those to all of our kids' workers and then ministers that are ministering during the service. So hold it up high. Hold your hand up if you've got those, and Paulette will come to collect those and get those to, uh, to them. So thanks for doing that. I hope it's a nice surprise for them uh, and a good reminder that they are valued in what they're doing. So it's difficult but not impossible to show genuine love and kindness to your enemies. Difficult but not impossible. Because remember how this passage started back in the beginning of chapter 12. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy live this way. 
The only way that I'm able to live this way and the only way Paul is calling you to live this way, not to pull up your bootstraps and be a little stronger and figure it out. He's saying, do this and live this way in view of God's mercy towards you. Because when you look at God's mercy, it allows you to live in this way. And if you and I come to this passage and we say, there's no way I can bless them. There's no way I can do good to them. There's no way I can, I can extend grace to them. Then I might say, and I think Paul would say, you are probably spending too much time looking at what they've done to you and not enough time at looking at what God's done for you. We are probably spending way too much time looking at what's done to us and not nearly as much time of what God has done for us. Because what Paul says is you can only live this way in view of God's mercy. And the way you and I can live this way, it's countercultural, it's different, it's not the way the world around you would call you to live. And, and the only way you can live this way and I can live this way is because of and in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is what Jesus did, the way he did it, and what we believe one day he will do. See, when I understand the gospel and when I understand what Jesus did in coming down and reconciling myself, a sinner, to him, someone who Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 5, that apart from Jesus Christ is an enemy of God. That's who I am apart from Jesus Christ. That's who you are apart from Jesus Christ. You are living as an enemy of God. And so when I understand what Jesus did coming down and showing love and grace to me, setting aside his glory, considering equality with God, not something to be grasped, but coming down to this earth to live and to die and what he did for me as a sinner, then I can live this way because I can look at what Jesus did for me. And then suddenly what God is asking me to do for you is not nearly as great as what God has already done for me. Because when I understand the gospel, when I understand what Jesus did, it makes it possible to live in this way. So the only way that you and I can live this way is when we understand what Jesus did, but not only what he did, the coming down and loving you in that way, in you, when we were unattractive, unlovely, there was nothing deserving about us. There was nothing that you did that God said, oh yeah, that's worth it. I'm gonna go die. That was nothing. Unlovely, unattractive, undeserving. And God said, I'm coming for you. When I understand what Jesus did for me, I can go and do it for others. But it's not just what he did, it's the way he did it. Jesus didn't conquer with a sword. He didn't conquer through hate. He did it through love and a cross. He did it through love and a cross. He did it through sacrifice. And it's the way that Jesus also called us to live. He does not call us to live in any way that he has not already shown us the way. And so the way of my Lord is the way of the cross. It's the way of sacrifice. It's the way of laying down his life. It's that he did not become to serve, but to serve. It's the way of Jesus. And so Jesus shows us the way to love, and he calls us to do it, not only because of what he did, but the way he did it. You see, the cross wasn't just an act in history. It is a model for a way that we are to live. So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. 
It is a way to live. Dying to ourselves and living for him. It's not just what he did, it's the way he did it. Modern day example of of, of following the way of Jesus might come in a situation that was depicted in the movie 42. You might have seen about Jackie Robinson coming into the major leagues. And in that uh, movie, the way they depict Jackie Robinson, Branch Rickey, uh, who's a general manager for baseball team, uh, has the idea to bring in the first African-American baseball player to the major leagues. Jackie Robinson, you might know the story, was playing in the Negro Leagues. And he, Branch Rickey wanted to break the unspoken color barrier and color line. And as both anticipate this, it becomes a major challenge for Robinson and his family as they endure unrelenting racism on and off the field from player and fan alike. And as Jackie struggles against his nature to deal with the abuse, he finds an ally in Rickey who's also a Christian. So in their first meeting, Robinson says to Ricky, you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back. You want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back. And no, no, Ricky replies, I want a player who has the guts not to fight back. And so this is a, he says, people aren't going to like this, is his quote in the movie. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Follow a curse with a curse and they'll hear only yours. Follow a blow with a blow, and they'll say the Negro lost his temper, that the Negro does not belong. Your enemy will be out in force, and you cannot meet him on his own low ground. We win with hitting, running, and fielding, only that. We win only if the world is convinced of two things, that you are a fine gentleman and a great ball player. Like our Savior, you've got to have the guts to turn the other cheek. Can you do it? Robinson replies, give me a uniform and give me a number on the back of it and I'll give you the guts. And it's a good example of not just what to do, but the way it's done. So you and I will find ourselves in situations where evil will be done to us. And many people will say, you'll be right to respond in kind. That is the honorable thing to do. And yet Paul says, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, your friends, your enemies, and even in the sight of God. What is the honorable thing to do? Be careful that you're not only listening to voices that are like yours. Often we find ourselves in those situations We can find a lot of people who agree with us and what we want to do. We need to listen. And that's why Paul writes in these passages and why we need to hear what is said in these passages. It's not only what he did, it's not only the way he did it, but it's what he will one day do. That's the gospel. But leave it to the wrath of God. Don't avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul is saying is we believe that one day justice will be done completely and rightly and that will you trust God will you trust God with your justice will you trust God 
to avenge so that you do not have to take revenge. Paul's saying is one day God will completely get rid of all of his enemies. Now, one way he does that is through making many of them friends. You and I were enemies of God, no longer made friends of God. But one day God's enemies will all be gone. So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to take revenge. This is what gives you the freedom to return good for evil because you don't have to worry about the tab. God's going to take care of the tab. God's going to pick that up. Don't worry about that. What you have to do is return good for evil. You are set free to love the way God calls you to love. I mean, that's what we've called this entire series. I know we're in this repurposed little midsection, but we've called this entire series free, not only because the gospel is free, but because the gospel sets you free. The gospel sets you free from carrying a grudge. It sets you free from being responsible to take revenge. It sets you free from having to make things even, Stephen, and make things right and make things fair. It sets you free to do good when evil is done to you because you have faith and confidence that this world is not all there is and that God one day will set things right. Evil will not prosper forever. This is one of the things, main themes throughout the Bible. We see it in the Psalms when the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you allow this to take place? In other words, I know it will not go on forever, but it seems like a long time right now. But God will avenge. God will. God will make things right. Of course, our attitude in the meantime is not, well, God, get them. Or God's going to get you. I'm free to weave that to God. I am free to love you. Because it's ultimately God you'll have to deal with and not me. And it's ultimately God that has been wronged and not me. When we live in lives that are not according to the way God has directed us to. So loving those who do evil to us returning good for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's kind of a strange expression. Some people take that as, well, that's going to hurt him. You're going to cause pain. That's not really in line with everything else Paul said there. It more likely means that it's the, it more likely is in line with our modern day expression of kill them with kindness. By doing this, you may bring them to a place of repentance. By doing this, you may, you pile up your goodness, you may bring them to a place where they will understand and they will see your, there's opportunity for repentance and reconciliation. play the long game. So the question is, we did a tangible act a few minutes ago of honoring, outdoing one another and showing honor. What's your tangible act for this part of the message? Who is it in your life that has done something to you that has hurt you and caused you pain that you need to return good to them. You need to bless them. 
Now be careful about this because we can be so sneaky. And we could be like, you know what you did to me, but I'm just going to bless you. And they're like, I didn't even know I did anything. Like, so you're just like causing them pain. So they, like, that's not the point here. If you're really going to bless them, you have to bless them so they feel blessed. Not they walk away feeling guilty. Right? Because that's not, that's not what he's talking about. You bless those who, if I'm receiving the blessing, I don't walk away with the blessing and the guilt. But we can trick ourselves into doing this. Remember that thing you did to me 20 years ago? Well, I'm just, I'm just here to make you a cake. I made you a cake because of what you did. Like, that's not it. You really bless them so that they walk away. They may not even know, have any idea. They may not even remember your name, but you need to do it for you. You need to just give them a blessing and bless those who have persecuted you and show love to them and do good to them. This is what God calls us to. You say, I don't always feel like doing that and I'm supposed to be genuine. You just told me that a little while ago. Then you need to repent. So do I. Because there are times I don't feel like doing it. That's not my nature. That's not your nature. But as a Christian, what I'm told is when something that God tells me goes against my nature, I need to repent until I come back into line of who God has called me to be. Lord, forgive me for not wanting. Forgive me for not acting in this way. Lord, help me to turn and to live the way you have called me to live. Make me more the person you've called me to be. That's the gospel way of life. It's not that you come to Jesus and you give your life to him and instantly, all of a sudden, you love your enemies. You come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, will you help me and make me into the person who is able to love in the way that you love, who is able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, who is able to say, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. Make me that kind of person. It's possible. Difficult, yes, but not impossible. But not impossible. It's the life that God calls you and I to live. I've told this story before about the nickel mines community in Pennsylvania, but I think it just incredibly illustrates what Paul's talking about here in a modern-day setting. In the morning of October 2nd, 2006, some of you remember it, a troubled milkman named Charles Carl Roberts barricaded himself in the West Nickel Mine Amish School Ultimately murdering five young girls and wounding six others, Roberts committed suicide when police arrived on the scene. It was a dark day for the Amish community in the West Nickel Mines town, but it was also a dark day for Marie Roberts, the wife of the gunman and her two children. But on the following Saturday, Marie experienced something truly countercultural while attending her husband's funeral. That day, she and her children watched as Amish families, about half of the 75 mourners present, came and stood alongside them in the midst of their own binding grief. Despite the crime the man had perpetrated, the Amish came to mourn Charles Carl Roberts, a husband and a daddy. Bruce Porter, a fire department chaplain who attended the service, described what moved him most about the gesture It's the love, the forgiveness, the heartfelt forgiveness they have toward the family. I broke down and cried seeing it displayed. He added that Marie Roberts was also touched. She was absolutely deeply moved 
by the love that was shown. It's difficult, but not impossible if we will commit to living our lives in view of God's mercy, if we will commit to a gospel-centered life that it says because of what Jesus did and because of the way he did it and because of what I believe he will one day do, I am free to not be overcome by evil but to overcome evil with good. Because see, here's what you're doing when you do that. Genuine love endures what appears to be short-term losses in order to gain long-term wins. It's the long game you're playing for. When it comes to our enemies, being on God's side means doing the difficult thing. It means doing the countercultural thing. It means doing the thing that other people don't understand. God's side is, Father, forgive them. God wants to repurpose our relationships not only with each other, not only with our friends, but especially with our enemies. Repurposed so it is not destructive to us and so there is a possibility of redemption and reconciliation for them. And that's the long game. That's the long game. The long game is I am not overcome with evil And so I am able to free to live for God. But the long game is also I leave room for reconciliation and redemption for them. And that's what Paul's talking about. If you return evil for evil, you cut that off. If you're going to be bitter, if you're going to return what they have returned to you, you cut off the opportunity for reconciliation and quite possibly you cut off in their lives an opportunity for redemption in Christ. But if you will return good when evil is done to you, you open the door for redemption. You open the door for them to say, why would you act in such an honorable way towards me? They may not say those words, but in their minds, it at least opens opportunity for the thought to say, after what I have done to you, why would you act that way towards me? And the long play is to weave the door open for reconciliation and for redemption. If we want to get our revenge now, we're just playing the short game. And God says, if you're going to follow Christ, you can't do that. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to look at the big picture. And you're called to play the long game and not just your personal revenge. Would you pray with me? And as we pray, I'm going to ask our elders to come forward and be available on either side of the stage and some of our leaders. But also, here's why I wanted to move the prayer time to the end of the service and we have a few minutes to do this because this is a message that if you will listen to it and I will listen to what God is actually saying here, There's some hard stuff in here for us to live out. And there is some stuff that you don't have the power in your own strength to live out. And so I wanted to move this prayer time till after the message because some of you need to come down here and spend some time at the altar and ask God to give you the strength to do what you know you need to do but don't have the strength to do.
Some of you need to come up and pray with one of our elders and come up and ask them to help you, for God to help you do what you need to do. As I pray, I think there's at least two categories of people. There's one category of people that you're sitting here and you need to just ask God to reveal to you because you don't even realize you're carrying the bitterness around. You feel so justified in it. You have so justified yourself in your own heart, in your own mind to be bitter and to be angry that you don't even think it's wrong anymore. And so I want to pray that God, would you just show us those blind spots in our lives? Would you show us the blind spots in our lives where we have held on to a bitterness and justified ourselves in doing it? But the second group of people here is you know it's there. You know who it is. As soon as I started talking about this, maybe even as soon as the passage was read, you thought, oh, no, because you know who that person is who hurt you, and you know that God has called you time and time and time again to forgive and to bless and to return good for evil and you have not done it. And so you need today to ask God to give you the strength to do it. That person at work, that person in your family, that that person who hurt you or... And this is the case a lot of times, that person who hurts someone you love. And you feel even more justified because you're carrying the pain for them. But that pain will eat you up and you will be overcome with it unless you're able to give that to God and ask him to help you to live that gospel life. And so this morning as our worship team plays, I'm going to ask you to come forward and find a spot, pray, and ask God to help us to live those kinds of lives, the kinds of lives that will be honorable in the sight of all, people who love their enemies. By the way, it goes without saying, you may say, well, I don't have any enemies. (laughs) Well, this covers everybody in between. Maybe there's someone there that you just, you, they're not my enemy, but you, they're your friend of me. God says, bless those who persecute you. Lord, Father, we have an amazing capability to deceive ourselves. And you've told us that. You said the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Lord, I want to pray first that you'd help us to know our own hearts. God, is there any place that we have not admitted to, but that we're carrying a bitterness? Lord, would you show it to us? And just just show it to us right now, God. Just reveal it to us. We don't want to be disingenuous. We want to love genuinely. We don't want to harbor things or justify ourselves in places that you don't justify us. We want to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So if there is evil within us that we've allowed to fester there, God, please reveal it to us so that we can repent of it. Lord, for those that are here today, that have something, that have not been able to have the strength to do what they know needs to be done, to bless those who have persecuted them and to, Lord, not return evil for evil, 
and not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good, would you today as they ask and as they humbly come, would you today give them the strength to do what they know they need to do and what you have called them to do? Do it, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you do it?